This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive as I'm taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better and I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, if you would, turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, towards the end. We have been in a Sunday morning series, walking through 1 John, verse by verse. As my father says, this is the third time in the history of the church that we have done this. And one reason for it is, of course, the Lord led us to do this. Another reason is that today, 1 John is an epistle that is under attack, like the epistle of James. And if something's under attack, there's a reason for it. There's something that we can learn from it, and it can empower us to walk in the victory that God has for us. Let's pick up right where we left off last Sunday, 1 John 3, verse 18. 1 John 3, 18, dear children. So again, you know, there, there are people that say, and again, they, they head down that road of wrong teaching, false teaching. They try and say that the epistle of 1 John wasn't written to believers, but again, repeatedly, he refers to his audience as children, as a part of the family. So this is for us. This is for believers. This is for the church. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. The Bible says elsewhere that wisdom is proven right by her children or by her deeds. Jesus taught that we know a tree by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Verse 19, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth. How? By, by loving, but with actions and in truth. By walking in love in the agape love of God with actions and our actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than anything in our hearts and he knows everything. One thing that Pastor and I have done our best to explain is that in the church world, some head down the road of legalism, and you understand going back to the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther and others, that our Protestant faith comes out of a reaction to legalism. And when someone heads down the legalistic road, no matter how much they do, no matter what they do, they come to a place where it feels like it's never enough, not good enough, and that's not the place our Heavenly Father wants us to be. And I explained either last Sunday or the Sunday before that 
the best thing to do is just to walk down the middle of the road. That's one ditch. Another ditch that people get into is that, well, grace means it doesn't matter what we do or how we live. We're, we're covered. We're good. We can just live however we want. Well, we see from the Word of God, we see from 1 John, that's not true. But how do we walk down the middle of the road? And how do we set our hearts at rest? This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And so as I ended last Sunday, I said, we realize from the word of God that not a single one of us is perfect. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yes, while we aim for perfection, and while we strive to walk in the light and in truth and righteousness, we're, we're not always perfect in that. And yes, we aspire to love the Lord our God with our heart and soul and mind, to give God our absolute best. But if we're, we're honest, we'll, we'll admit that we're not always perfect in that. We're, 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 we're human. We sin. We err. Now, I mentioned that, that two-lane country road. People can get in the ditch on one side or on the other. We sin, we err, we make mistakes, we, we fall short, and our heart condemns us. Your heart condemns you. And what is the remedy? Well, first, it's 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9, John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you read 1 John chapter 1 and 2, you find out that the goal is not to sin. You know, there are believers and they, they, they head down the road of, well, well, grace means I'm good and I'm going to heaven. I just live however I want. Well, we see from the word of God that's not correct. And also we see with our eyeballs that that does not lead to a life of victory. So when we sin, when we err, when we we make a mistake when the Holy Spirit leads us one way, but we, we do something that's our own bright idea. We realize it was a mistake. 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sin, and he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's still this thing of, is it enough? Is it good enough? Do I measure up? How do we set our heart at rest? And it is this second thing by walking in love. So first, we confess our sins. Second, we walk in love. Dear children, verse 18, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our, heart, our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So how do you set your heart at rest? when your heart condemns you. It's by walking in love. You know, I, I understand this as a, a parent. If there's any area in my life where I, I realize and I deal with the fact that I'm not perfect, even though I do my best, it is in my parenting. You know, last night, Julia was just pushing me to the limit and dealing with her and correcting her and handling that. Got past it and we're praying and Samuel did something that was irritating and I, I spoke a little too strongly, a little too harshly, and it's not his fault that his younger sister is being a problem. So it's in parenting that I realize that I can do better. I can do better. I said I can do better. 
So how do I set my heart at rest? It is by doing my best to walk in love according to the word of God. To walk in love with my heavenly father, to walk in love toward brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk in love toward Jessica, to walk in love to our children. How do we set our hearts at rest when our hearts condemn us? It is by walking in love. Love, forgive, be kind, be gracious, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Forgive if you want to be forgiven. We all want to be forgiven, but Jesus said we have to forgive. Do not judge if you don't want to be judged. You know, if you run around judging everyone and everything, you're going to reap a harvest of that in your life. Show mercy if you want to receive mercy. To have confidence before Father God and to set your heart at rest, you have to walk in love. And this is crucial because it has everything to do with our prayer life. Walking in love has everything to do with a successful prayer life. Walking in love has everything to do with answered prayer. This week, if you'll take the time and carefully read Mark 11, 22 through 25, you know, often we end at verse 24. Verses 22 through 24 deal with the prayer of faith and praying in faith. But in verse 25, Jesus deals with a hindrance to prayer or a hindrance to successful praying or a hindrance to answered prayer. And that is, in our lives, us not forgiving. In our lives, us holding grudges. In our lives, us going to our Heavenly Father with a need or request. But there's a hindrance because we haven't forgiven or we're holding something against someone, which goes back to the issue of walking in love. Why is the agape love of God and us walking in it so important? It has everything to do with our hearts not condemning us. Look at 1 John 3, beginning in verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So if you want to set your heart at rest, if you don't want your heart to condemn you, you have to walk in love. You have to live the life. You have to live a life that is pleasing to God. And remember, the love command fulfills all the other commands of God. You know, if I'm walking in love, I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I'm not going to take advantage of my neighbor. I'm not going to covet anything my neighbor has. The love command fulfills all the other commands of God. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, how do I come to the place where my heart doesn't condemn me? By walking in love. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Why, why, can, why are there believers, and they, they've been in church 10 years or 20 years, but they, they can't pray in confidence? It's because they're not walking by the command, which is the love command. They've got unforgiveness. They've got judgment and judgmentalism. And because they haven't been walking love, they got all this junk going on. And so their heart is not at rest. And their heart condemns them. And when they pray, they don't pray in confidence. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence. Say, say, my heavenly father, he wants me to have confidence when I pray. Confidence in him. Confidence in his word. Confidence in who we are in Christ Jesus. But how do we set our hearts at rest? You go back up a few verses. It is by walking in love. If our hearts do not condemn us, 
we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask. Well, that's what we all want, amen? We want to receive. We want to find. We want to knock and the door be open. Well, we have a part to play. We receive from Him anything we ask because we do what? And this is the issue. Tell your neighbor, say, this is the issue. See, the, the popular thing now is, well, the, the new covenant means we're, we're blessed and we have all the blessings regardless of how we live and regardless of the choices and decisions we make and regardless of whether we do obey God or we don't obey God. It's nonsense. We receive from him anything we ask. Why? Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. You might say, Austin, you mean to say that someone can live in a way that does not please God? Yes. And you go to Hebrews 11, you find out what way of life pleases God. It is living by faith. Faith in God and faith in his word. And receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands. And what command fulfills all the commands? It is the love command. You might say, Austin, I just got saved in the last month. Make it easy for me. Walk in the love of God. If you walk in the love of God, you're not going to cheat your neighbor. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to try and hurt your neighbor. You're going to walk in love. You're going to stop saying some of the things that you've been saying. Stop posting some of the things you've been posting. Stop watching and listening to some of the things you've been watching and listening to. Walk in the love of God. It fulfills every command. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. This is his command, to believe and to love. And again, not, not the worldly kind of love. Not, not with a passionate, lustful love. You know, the world calls certain things love, and they don't mean love, they mean lust. The love of God, it is selfless. The love of God puts God first. The love of God puts others first. The love of God puts doing what is right first, even if it hurts, even if it requires sacrifice, even if it isn't comfortable. This is his command, to believe and to love. To believe and to love. To believe and to love. Verse 24, those who obey his commands. So we can't escape it. We're to obey God. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. You know, in John chapter 15, which was written also by the apostle John, Jesus connected the successful prayer life to remaining in him and him remaining in us, to us remaining in his word and his word remaining in us. And how can you do that? If you disobey God, how can you do that if you disobey the commands of God? How can you do that if you, you know something is wrong, but you do it anyway? Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Modern false teachers will say it doesn't matter what we do, but consider verse 22, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Or verse 24, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. So, so what is, turn that over. Now, Dr. Fred Price would often say, turn the coin to the other side. So what, what does the opposite say? 
Those who disobey God don't live in him, and he doesn't live in them. So you have to live the life. You have to live a life that walks in obedience to God. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. So our obedience matters. Our actions matter. What we do or doesn't, we don't do, it matters. Now let's go to new ground in chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. You know, this is appropriate because of the weekend it is. We're going to deal with spirit and spirits. You know, sometimes people ask me about alcohol. Well, I notice the place bias that's popular on the weekends, it advertises spirits. You know, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only spirit I need is the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You know, not every spirit is of God. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out in the world. Now in 1 John chapter 1, we dealt with walking in the light. And the reality is the month of October, what, what does the world celebrate? During the month of October, what does the world celebrate? The world celebrates darkness. The world celebrates evil. The world celebrates spirits. The world celebrates the things of darkness. The world. You, you go to see a movie with your family, which is not really safe to do anymore, and you see the previews. Well, what does the world celebrate? Fear and being afraid and being scared. All of that is the darkness. And 1 John, he writes, John, the Apostle John writes, 1 John 1, as believers, as those that claim Christ, that we, we know Christ, are we to walk in the darkness or are we to walk in the light? Someone might say, you mean, Austin, you don't, you don't dress up your kids and walk them around the neighborhood so you can get free candy? No. The Lord is my provider. It's really quiet this morning. <laughs> Test the spirits. Mom, remember it was a Friday evening, we were having a prayer service, and a mom brought me her daughter, she wanted her daughter prayed over, and her daughter suffered from terrible, terrible nightmares. And I told the mom, I said, yes, I will pray, but you have to police what your daughter sees, what she is listening to, and what she is watching. None of our children have nightmares. I said, none of our children have nightmares. And why do none of our children have nightmares? Because we, we police and we supervise their fellowship. We police and we supervise what they listen to. We, we police and we supervise what they, they see. You know, and you get older and you see things you didn't see when you were younger. And I'll use a, you know, pretty innocent example. I remember when Point came and I was a teenager and I, I watched Jaws for the first time. Well, the next time we went on family vacation to the beach, I was a little reluctant to get in the water. You know, you're out there snorkeling and you're looking around. Well, why do people have fear? Because they've seen something that makes them fearful. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In our lives, how do we test the spirits? We are to judge everything by the Word of God. We are to judge everything by the Word of God. 
We are to judge every prophecy or prophetic word by the word of God. We're to judge every word by the word of God. We're to judge every vision or every dream by the word of God. And we're even to judge those that stand behind the sacred desk of the pulpit by the word of God. You read Paul's writings. Paul gave clear guidelines and qualifications for those who serve in ministry. We're to judge everything by the word. But here's, here's one ditch that people get into. They don't want to be doers of the word of God. They don't want to obey the commands of God. And so then they head down the road of super spirituality. They head down the road of words. They head down the road of visions. They head down the road of dreams. They head down the road of prophetic words. And they, they want those things to affirm their disobedience. They want those things to affirm them doing their own thing. This was years ago. It was on a Wednesday night. My parents were out of town. My father had asked me to cover. I had finished the Wednesday night service and was out in the atrium greeting. You know, these are the things they never prepare you for in seminary. And there was a lady came by. She was a new visitor. So, you know, hey, how are you doing? Have a blessed week. You know, that, that's, that's typically it. Hey, how are you doing? Have a blessed week. God bless you. And move along. Amen. And she, she per, proceeded to tell me all this weird nonsense. And you think, well, it's a new person. It's a visitor. So I'll <laughs> do my best here. I'll be kind and be gracious. And she literally proceeded to tell me that when people drive by wherever she lives, the lights, their cars shine through the window, that on the wall, that she's, the way those lights show up on the wall of her home, she sees letters from Hebrew, and then she gets online and uses an app and puts those letters to, in Hebrew together to get secret messages from God. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. See, we go back to the command, which is to do what? To walk in love. And as she was talking to me, her young son was standing next to her. See, well, she'll pay a price for that nonsense, but who's really going to pay a price? The son. Any, any children? So I, I did my best, ma'am. That, that, that's, that's a bunch of nonsense. And I, I think I thought of a nicer way to say it. Ma'am. You need to read your Bible. Ma'am, if you want to hear from the Lord, read your Bible. If you want to God to communicate with you, read your Bible. Do, be, be a doer of what the Bible says. Live, live the Bible out in your life. But she, she didn't want to hear it. She, she just was adamant. You know, I, I was about to tell her, you need to find a new place to live if there are that many headlights shining through your, your window at night. I need to believe God for some nicer blinds. That's what prosperity is for. Amen. <laughs> Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, there was a year and I had fasted and prayed and it was regarding something in particular. Finished that service and walked out and one of the brothers from Africa, he, he grabbed a hold of me. He grabbed a hold of me and he gave me a word from the Lord. It, it was right on. And a confirmation to me that God had heard, God had answered. Okay? Marilyn Hickey used to explain it this way. God is not going to give someone else a word about your life he has not already given you. A word is going to be a word of confirmation. And again, we judge everything by this book. And so... 
People come to church and they hear about being faithful. They hear about walking in love. But, but they, they, they want to get rid of the, the guy they're stuck with or the gal they're stuck with. And so they'll get around their super spiritual friends who, who don't go to church. You know, I, I just feel that the Lord is telling me that this I'm about to do is justified. That I'm about to do is justified. And so people will justify their disobedience with super spirituality. But John tells us, test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out in the world. So we're to judge everything by the word of God. Everything, every word, every prophecy, every vision, every dream by the word of God. And remember that God's word is the standard by which we're all going to be judged. If you're a believer, one day you'll stand before Jesus Christ at his judgment seat. His word is what we're going to be judged by. And when the wicked, dead, stand before Father God at the great white throne judgment, the word of God is the standard by which they're going to be, be judged. And that, this is why I don't get into nonsense. In the last few years, people have sent me Facebook messages. Uh, Austin, have you seen this prophetic video? Have you seen that prophetic video? You know, videos about krakens being released. You know, there, there are no dragons you know, there are men in the church that have served in the U.S. Navy. I could ask them, did you see a crack in it? See, they'd probably tell me they didn't. We are to judge everything by the Word of God. Chapter and verse, show me. And people get into nonsense and error, and they, they lose their focus on what they're supposed to be doing. Living for God, being productive for God, being productive for their family. Judge everything by the word of God. This then is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus, is, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In John's day, there, there were those that were saying that Jesus in coming and being the savior of the world, that he did not come in the flesh. In the, the Greek and the Roman world, they, they viewed the flesh and the physical as being less than. And so people combined other worldviews with forms of Christianity, like the Gnostics, and they, they believed that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, but he did. You go back to 1 John chapter 1. John says, that which we saw, that's which we have seen, that's what we have heard, that which we have touched. This is what we're writing to you about. You go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us, born of a woman. There were those in John's day that disagreed with that, and they, they, they said that it seemed that, well, maybe he just took over someone's body and, and did the ministry and then left. Nonsense! And so John writes, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He was born of a woman, he came in the flesh that time. And he's risen, he's resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's coming in the flesh again. And in our day, I think this is the bigger thing to emphasize. There, there are those, as Dr. Lester Summerall said, they, they live as if he is never coming. He's coming. And he was raised from the dead physically 
and bodily. He was born in the flesh, and he is coming in the flesh. And we're going to have to stand before him and give an account for what we did with our lives and how we lived according to the standard of his word. So John writes, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. My father told me this was years ago in the, the early 90s, but it was on Easter Sunday. A denominational minister in Fort Worth on Easter Sunday of all days wrote an op-ed about how you can, be, you can be a Christian, but you don't have to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Nonsense. These are the basics of the faith. And as Paul said, if he has not been raised from the dead, we are yet in our sins. So it matters. He was born of a woman. He came in the flesh. He, as Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way like we are, yet he was without sin. He suffered in the flesh. He died in the flesh. And his resurrection was also in the flesh, physical and bodily. And revelation, judgment. These are not some spiritual fairy tales like Lord of the Rings or whatever it is. These are things that will soon happen. So we're to live accordingly. We're to live ready, mindful of the days in which we live because he is coming in the flesh again. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. We could also read it this way. Every spirit that does not acknowledge his word is not from God. And these are the, the traps and the ditches people get into. Well, well I want, Austin, I, I want to go to a prophetic service, and I, I want to hear an hour of prophetic words. Well, they haven't read their Bible. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul talks about rules and guidelines, and he says at most two or three prophetic words, and then let the prophets judge them. So we could read it this way. Every spirit that does not acknowledge the word is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. See, the Antichrist is coming, but there is an Antichrist spirit in the world, an anti-God spirit, an anti-word spirit, an anti-truth spirit, an anti-righteousness spirit, an anti-light spirit. That's why Jesus said we are to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. Well, we're not to play in the darkness. We're not to dress in the darkness. We're not to hang out in the darkness. We are to expose the darkness. You dear children, verse 4, are from God and have overcome them. Say, say I'm an overcomer. Say, I have the victory. And you might be believing God for something. You might be facing something. You might be overcoming something, but you have the victory. Say it again. Say, I have overcome. Say, say I'm an overcomer. And how do we overcome? It's by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We're overcomers and we have overcome them. You have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. Who's in the world? Satan, the one in us, the Spirit of God. He is greater than the one that is in the world. I love the King James. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why don't we say this? Say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we have the victory. We can overcome. And you might not know what to do right now, but as you 
praise the Lord and worship the Lord and study the Word of God and seek God, the wisdom will come. The answer will come. Verse 5, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. And this phrase, the viewpoint of the world, it is everything in the time in which we're living. And you go back to 1 John 1. And I know you might be mulling over some of what I have preached today. But you go back to 1 John 1. And you have the dichotomy of light and darkness. And as believers, we're to walk in the light. But what people want today is they, they want enough light to be saved and go to heaven, but they want to live this life in the darkness. And it doesn't work. And if you raise your family and you lead that family, your family that way, your children will grow up with the viewpoint of the world. They'll grow up with the viewpoint of compromise. They'll grow up with the view of, a worldview of lukewarmness. Saying you love God, you serve God, but you live for yourself, you live for the world most of your life. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You know, there, there was a time in our country and someone might be new or they might have come to church for the first time and just got saved, but they, they had, to a good degree, a biblical worldview and a Christian worldview. But because of what has gone on in our nation the last 30 or 40 years, and now, now with all the social media, most people don't have a biblical worldview. Most people don't have a Christian worldview. And it's, it breaks my heart to say it, but even in our nation, most people out there, they don't have a pro-America, pro-democracy, pro-good pro values worldview. They have a worldview of darkness. They have a worldly worldview. And this is so crucial in leading your family, guiding your family, and then as your young people get older, in dating and marriage, because we're to be equally yoked together. And a good example of worldview is in Romans chapter 1. Why don't you turn your Bible to Romans chapter 1? And don't have time to read this all to you, but I, I would encourage you to read Romans 1 this week. In the 80s and 90s, many people that came to full gospel churches, they, they came out of denominational churches, but they wanted more. They, they, they knew God, they believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they, they wanted more. They wanted the Holy Spirit. But because of what's gone on in our nation the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, people come to church today, they, they, they don't know any of the basics of a biblical or a Christian or Judeo-Christian worldview. And in the culture out there, young people are being brainwashed and young people are being led astray and young people are being led to believe all kinds of wicked, evil things. And you might say, Austin, from Romans 1, what is a biblical worldview? That God, he is the creator. And what he has made is good, but it has been corrupted by sin and evil and wickedness and darkness. 
that God being good and being the creator, that he has stamped upon our hearts right and wrong. And so as Paul says, men and women are without excuse. Judgment is coming. Again, Jesus Christ came in the flesh, but he's coming in the flesh again when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives and it is split in two. So God is creator. What he made is good, but it has been corrupted by evil and wickedness and sin. But God has stamped on every heart right and wrong. Paul says it this way, evidence for God and evidence for the creator exists all around us so that men and women are without excuse. But men and women head down the road of sin and perversion and evil and wickedness and depravity. Paul speaks of them being given over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. That those were the days of Rome. But those are the days of American society today. Just when you think it can't get more evil. Just when you think it can't get more wicked or perverse, it does. They are inventing ways to sin. And a worldly worldview says it's, it's fine. A worldly worldview says it's, it's okay. A worldly worldview says it is, a, it is a choice. A biblical worldview says it is evil. A biblical worldview says it is wrong. A biblical worldview says it is displeasing to God. And so the challenge we face, moms and dads, in our, our time today, as long as the Lord tarries, is in your home having a biblical worldview and raising your children and your teens with the biblical worldview and leading your family with a biblical worldview. And then when it comes to dating and marriage, doing everything that you can to ensure your children are equally yoked together with another young person that has a biblical world view. Everything is at stake in the times in which we live. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So worldview is everything. And you can't walk in the light and live for God and walk in the light as Christ is in the light if you have a worldly worldview. You can't walk in the light if you have a worldly worldview and you call things that God says are evil or are sinful or wicked if you call those things good. The Bible says it this way, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put light for darkness and darkness for light. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. You know, five years ago, if you had told me the things going on in our nation today would be going on, I wouldn't have believed it. Children are literally having their lives wrecked by the drugs they're being put on, by having their bodies mutilated with the lie that they can be something other than what they are, what God made them to be. That is a worldly viewpoint. 
And a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview says that is wrong, that is evil, that is wicked. And we're not going to have anything to do with it. And worldview matters, parents, because as your children get older and as they date and they choose who they'll marry for life, that other person, they'll be a part of the decision-making on how children are raised and whether they go to church or they don't go to church. One of the saddest things I've read online is about family situations where a husband and wife are separated and a father is trying to raise children right, do the best he can, or a mom is, but they have a spouse, an ex-spouse, and they're participating in the lies of these cultures that a child is born a boy but can become a girl, or vice versa, and children's lives being mutilated. It's evil. It is wicked. As Paul says in Romans 1, to do what ought not to be done. And no matter what evil, what lies someone believes, we all know here in our heart that certain things are right, certain things are wrong, certain things are good, certain things are evil. And we're to walk in the light. And our lives were to get out the viewpoint of the world from our lives, were to live by the word of God, were to obey the commands of God. And it may not be popular in 2022, but we're to lead our families in truth and righteousness and godliness, no matter what goes on in the world. And why? What is the motive? The motive is love. If I love my family, I'm not going to let them head down the road of evil and wickedness and nonsense and error. If I love my children, I'm not going to let them head down certain roads. We live this way because of love. Not a worldly love, but because of the love of God. We'll pause there and continue in chapter 4 next Sunday. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and perhaps you've heard about the goodness of God. You've heard about the goodness of Jesus and giving his life for you, but you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. This world that we live in, it'll, it'll tell you that if you're just kind of good enough, that is sufficient to lie. The world will tell you that you can come up with your own way to God, your own path to God. You, you can make it what you want it to be. It's a lie. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the way. He is the Savior of the world. And it is only through Jesus Christ that we can step out of the darkness and into the light. He loves you, and he gave his life for you. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We read in chapter 3, John writes, this is the command. That first one is to believe. To believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and as the Savior of your life. If you're here today and say, Austin, I, I've never done that, but I want to. I want to call upon Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. I want to give him my life and I want to become a part of the family of God today. That's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand so I'll see your hand, I'll know. You want me to pray with you? Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. 
You might also be here today and at a time in your life you prayed a prayer, but you know in your heart, not been walking with God, you know that you've been doing your own thing, living for yourself. You know that there are things in your life that are displeasing to God, darkness, other things. The Bible says that the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. You can leave here today knowing you have peace with God. If you're here today say, Austin, that's me. Pray with me. I want to recommit my life. I want to make things right with God before I leave the day. If that's you, raise your hand to where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has gone forth as a seed planted into good ground, that it will bear a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving these families, especially these parents, these moms and dads, wisdom and leading their families in the light and leading their families in the truth and righteousness in this wicked and depraved culture. Thank you for giving them wisdom. Thank you for leading them by, by your spirit. And even when they, they don't know for sure that something or someone is a problem, I thank you for giving them the discernment to see as you see, to know that not a single child of their, any of these families would be led astray into this wickedness and this perversion. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. He has called us to the light. We're to walk in the light. As it says in the Gospels, we're to let our light shine. And after today, someone might say, man, Austin, you sound like one of those old-fashioned preachers my grandmother told me about. Being careful, not imitating the world, not looking like the world, not dressing like the world. We are to be a people set apart unto God. The Bible describes the fact that when we're part of the family of God, we're given a white garment. It is a robe of salvation. We are to keep that garment unsoiled. We are to keep that garment white because the bridegroom is coming. He has come in the flesh. He is coming in the flesh. The church, the body of Christ will meet him in the air and he is coming in the flesh again to judge the nations of this earth. 